Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. All right. I'm really, really excited about this whole series that we're doing, you know, talking about hosting the presence of God. And as a believer, really, the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. But the second most important thing about you is how you host the presence of God in your life. So I want to start today in Acts chapter 2. And Peter, this is the day of Pentecost, the day the church is born. Uh, he begins by quoting the prophet Joel. And he says, it shall come to pass in the last days. Now, what he is going to do is say this prophecy of Joel, he said, in fact, what he says, he says, this is that. In other words, he says, this prophecy receives the beginning of its fulfillment today. 2,000 years ago, on the day of Pentecost, the last days began. And not only did the last days begin, but a move of the Spirit of God begins. He said, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. So if 2,000 years ago it was the last days, how many know this is the last of the last days? And we are living in a time when the Spirit of God is being poured out on the earth. Now, as a believer, we need to know the Word of God, but we also need to know the Spirit of God. We need to know both. In Exodus chapter 31, and, and I've read this before, but I want to bring something out a little different today. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, see, I have called Belzeel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I've filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold, silver, bronze, and cutting of jewels for settings and carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. Now, this is the first time anyone is filled with the spirit of God. And it wasn't to preach. It wasn't to serve as a priest. The purpose was to do workmanship. Uh, other, other translations say artistic works. An artisan is used in some translations. So it didn't have to do with what we so often would consider to be spiritual things as it had to do with our normal everyday work activities. Do you realize you can be filled with the Spirit of God to do your job better. Absolutely. Uh, about a month ago, I, I got a phone call and uh, they said, look, we're, we're putting together a group going over to Wisconsin to meet M Matthew McPherson. And uh, we're taking a private jet and there's a spot for you if you want it. And it's free. And I said, yes. Now, now, Mac McPherson, uh, designs and owns the company that, that makes the McPherson guitars, some of the finest guitars in the world. But he also owns a company called Matthews, and they make the Matthews bows for bow hunters. I shoot a Matthews, Jeannie shoots a Matthews, our kids shoot Matthews, our grandkids shoot Matthews. 
And uh, I, I wanted to meet him. Now, not really because so much that he makes the bows that we shoot, but I had heard about him that with his company, he, he has different branches and he has one branch that's called Lost Camo. And all the money, 100% of the money that that branch makes goes to support missionaries to reach the lost. And then he's got a, a bold group that's called Missions and 100% of the money goes to support missionaries. In fact, he supports 750 missionaries full-time by himself. And I, I want to meet this guy. I want to meet him. So uh, well, we've got his picture here. There, there we are. You know, look at that, that good-looking guy on the left. Look at that. No, I'm just confused. Okay. So, so we, we spent about six hours, seven hours there. We toured the factory, but we sat down with Matt probably about three and a half hours. And we were talking to him about some of the stuff that he does and how he came up with such different, innovative ideas. And he said, well, one day, he said, I was just communing with the Lord. And I felt like God said to me, he said, I have the answer to every problem any person ever faces. And I would tell them if they just ask. And so he said, God, I, I, need some, I need some help on my bows. So a short time later, he gets up in the morning and he just sits up in bed. And instead of seeing the bedroom, all he sees is like a huge piece of paper or a sheet with a picture of a bow. Totally, radically different. Parallel limbs when it was just totally unheard of. And his wife said to him, what's happening? He says, I'm not sure, but I think I'm having a vision. <laughs> so, so he put that, he put that to, to work and, and literally his bows uh, absolutely revolutionized the, the uh, compound bow industry. And uh, we, we, he, we were talking about how he gets ideas and he was just saying how God just continually keeps on giving him ideas, both for the bow company and for the guitar company. He said something that I thought was interesting. He wrote a poem, kind of like a sinner's prayer poem, and it's called the Salvation Poem. And uh, it's been translated now into over 60 languages, and they're planning to translate it into another 100 languages. And I asked the guys uh, if they would, would uh, go ahead and, and sing it. And, and by the way, the, the best guitar, they, they told me this. I didn't even know this. They told me in between services, our best guitar is a McPherson. Of course. Of course. Go ahead. <laughs> Jesus, you died upon a cross and rose again to save the lost. Forgive me now of all my sin. Come be my Savior, Lord and friend. Change my life and make it new and help me, Lord, to live for you. Change my life and make it new And help me, Lord, to live for you They just get thousands and thousands of testimonies from people. Pray, 
really sang a song but didn't even realize they were praying a prayer. They're praying a prayer. Uh, we were sitting at that table, and uh, he, he, he's a typical Wisconsin guy, and they're like cheese people. And so he had gone, and he, he sent somebody, and they, they got us some uh, cheese curds. I'd never had a cheese curd in my life. And he said, no, you got to eat these cheese curds. And so he says, these are the best. He says, they even squeak when you eat them. And they did. They would squeak. And I'm like, it's weird. But we're sitting there eating the, this, these uh, cheese curds. And we're talking about that poem. And this is what he said. He said, I believe the reason I was born was to write that poem. Write that poem. He said, the people that are getting saved all around the world. And, and what really struck me, here's somebody. He's not a pastor. He's not a missionary. He's not an evangelist. He's the business guy. He's the business guy. But his heart is to reach the lost. And the Spirit of God just keeps on using him in different ways. Now, as, you, as, you, as a believer in, in Christ, the Spirit of God's living inside you. And he's not there just for a ride. In fact, if the Spirit of God is not making a difference in your life, it's not his fault. It's not his fault. We've got to open up. We've got to open up. Now, now with that, I just wanted to read a, a scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now, it says, now the child Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. One translation says it this way, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And there was no open vision. So if, if you're reading your Bible, it's just a short time later. And Samuel, he's just seven, eight years old. He's laying down. and He hears a voice and says, Samuel, Samuel. He runs over to Eli and he says, you called me. And he said, no, no, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. Here's that voice again, Samuel, Samuel. He runs over to Eli. He says, surely you called me. And he said, no, I didn't call you. And Eli puts up his little antennas and, and he says, but if, if you hear the voice again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And he lays back down and that same voice comes and says, Samuel, Samuel. And he says, speak, Lord, for your servant's listening. And God begins to download Talk to him. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Samuel heard it, like with his physical ears. To him, it was audible. To Eli, who wasn't far away, he heard nothing. Right? How many of you have ever read in your Bible, and the word of the Lord came unto me, saying? That's it right there. To you, it's audible. I've had it a couple times, but it's, I, I would say not, 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 not ten times in my life. But I've had it happen a few times. And then it says, and there's no open vision. No open vision. Now, there's different types of visions in your Bible. There's the Bible talks, for example, in the book of Joel, excuse me, Joel, Job, it talks about the night vision. You'd call it a dream. How many know God can speak to you in a dream? Then there's what's typically called just a vision or a, a closed vision. Um, Saul is on his way to Tarsus. He gets knocked off his donkey. He has a vision of Jesus. And the Bible says he got up and he opened his eyes. He got up and he, what is that? He opened his eyes. So he was awake, but his eyes were closed when he saw the vision. But then there's what the Bible refers to as an open vision. 
And when you have an open vision, your eyes are wide open, but you're not seeing what's in front of you. You're seeing something completely different. Just like what uh, Matthew McPherson said, he, he got up in his bed and he didn't see the room anymore. What he saw was a piece of paper with a weird design for a bow, a, 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 a bow with parallel limbs instead of the extended that everybody had been doing. So just thought I'd, I'd share with you, those are things that don't necessarily happen every day, but those are things that can happen. Now, I believe that the Holy Spirit is imprisoned in the body of unbelieving believers. I'll say that again. I believe the Holy Spirit is imprisoned in the body of unbelieving believers. Again, he is not inside us just to go along for the ride. In Acts 16, verse 20, it says, they went out and preached the word everywhere, the Lord working with them. I want you to understand the Lord wants to work with you. Jesus said this in John 16, however, I tell you, I am telling you the, tr the truth about this. He said, it is expedient. It's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the advocate, the intersexer, the strengthener, the standby will not come to you into close fellowship with you. But if I go away, I will send them to you so you can be, he can be in close fellowship with you. See, the Holy Spirit wants to be in close fellowship with you. He wants to be your counselor, your advocate, your helper, your strengthener, your standby, your intercessor. He wants to have a tremendous impact in your life. Now, it's in the book of Amos. The prophet Amos said this, surely the Lord God does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. Surely the Lord God does nothing except revealing his, without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. And God gives that word to the prophet. The prophet speaks that word out. I believe that nothing happens in the kingdom of God until something is said. Nothing happens in the kingdom until nothing is said. The Lord does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. Your words can build up. They can tear down. They can encourage. They can support. They can bind and they can loose. Proverbs says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. You may have heard somebody say, well, be careful, you might have to eat those words. The truth is we all eat our words. The Bible says there's death and life in the power of your tongue. And if you love it, if you love it, you'll eat the fruit. You'll sow the seed that you want to reap. You'll sow the words that you want to reap. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, the earth is without form and void. There's darkness on the face of the deep and the spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And the Lord God said, let there be light. And when the Lord said, let there be light, the spirit of God was there before. But once he said something, the spirit of God moved and creation began. And the same thing is true with you and me. When we begin to speak what God has placed inside of us through his word, things begin to happen. In Isaiah 54, verse 17, it says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. But every tongue, notice what the weapons are going to be. They're going to be words. Every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, 
and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Notice it says you need to speak up and you need to condemn. You need to say something contrary against what's being said. One of my mentors was Lester Summerall. He talked about being in the Orient. He traveled the world for several years. He was in a service and as he was walking in, he said a woman came up to him and said, he said, there's a dark angel in you and there's a white angel in me. And he said, when that woman came up to him, he just sensed it was a demonic manifestation. And he said, I, I, I simply said, I rebuke you in Jesus name. He said, she fell to the floor. And this is what he said. He said, when I did, he said, every single lost person in the place ran to the front and gave their life to God. Now, when the devil shows up, you confront him. Every tongue that rises up against you, you speak out and you condemn that thing. You reverse that thing. The Bible tells us in James chapter three, and it's talking about your tongue. It says, we set bits in horses' mouths to make them obey us, and we can turn the whole body about. Think about that. That horse may weigh 1,400, 1,500 pounds, and you just put that little bit in their mouth, and you can turn that horse whatever direction you like. And then he says, likewise, look at ships. Though they're so great and are driven by rough winds, they are steered by a very small rudder. Wherever the impulse of the helmsman determines, even so the tongue. So he's saying just like a ship on the sea, that it may be rough, there may be a storm, there may be winds, there may be waves, but it's not the storm that determines where the ship ends up. What determines where the ship ends up is the rudder. Where the helmsman puts that rudder, that ship is going to go. And he says, even so the tongue. Your tongue sets the direction of your life. Even so the tongue is a little member, it can boast of great things. See how much wood or how great a forest, a tiny spark can set a fire or a blaze. It says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of wickedness set among our members, contaminating, depraving the whole body and setting on fire the wheel of birth, the cycle of man's nature in itself being ignited by hell. In other words, the devil wants to put words in your mouth. But notice it says that the words that you speak, they set a cycle in motion, the wheel of birth. They begin things happening, the things that you say. Your words are important. In fact, Revelation 12, 11 says, and they, that's you, overcome him, that's the devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. In other words, you and I will never have overcoming victory in our lives without the words of our mouth being correct. We need to speak the right thing. We need revelation from the Spirit of God of the Word of God. In Colossians 1 and verse 12, it says, In giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us for our share of the inheritance of the saints in light. Say, before I talk about that, let me, let me share a little We've got rabbi here today. Uh, he lives in a town right outside of Jerusalem called Ephrata. You got Abraham, you got Isaac, and you got Jacob. And Jacob was working for his uncle Laban. And Laban was constantly cheating him. In fact, 10 times the Bible says he changed his wages. Well, finally, Jacob said, I'm leaving. And he grabs his family. 
He grabs his stuff and he takes off and he doesn't tell Uncle Laban. Well, Uncle Laban finds out and he's mad. And he pursues him and he finally catches up to him. And he actually says, the God of your fathers spoke to me last night in a dream and said, do not speak anything evil, anything good. You do not tell. You do not come against Jacob. So they're having this conversation. He says, but why did you steal my household, household idols? And he says, we did not steal your idols. And if somebody did, let them die. Now, he didn't know that his wife, Rachel, had stolen those idols. And Rachel hit him really well. Laban looked all over, couldn't find him. He left. But it's just a few miles later. And they get to the town of Ephrata. And she's giving birth to Benjamin. And she dies. Uh, you can go to his, the, Rachel's tomb. They've been there. Been to the tomb. Right near his house. The words that he spoke... Whoever stole the idols, they'll die. They'll die. Those words had an effect on his family. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Now notice that it says here in Colossians 1.12 that you have an inheritance. Now, it's not that you've qualified yourself. It says the Father has qualified you. Now, the Bible tells us that we're joint heirs, and that's real important. Now, if somebody has 10 children, that's a lot of kids, by the way. But if somebody has 10 children, well, let's make this even better. Let's just say I die and I leave my stuff to my 19 grandkids. Okay? Got 19 of them suckers. They're awesome. Okay? But we would divide things 19 ways, and each one would get one 19th, unless they're co-heirs. And if they're co-heirs, everyone owns all of it. It's not that you get a small piece. You don't get a little piece of what Jesus purchased for you. Every bit of it belongs to you. Every bit of it. So you're a joint heir. But somebody says, well, I just, you know, I haven't done much and I'm not very, you know, I'm not a super Christian and, and I just don't feel like I qualify. That's why God qualified you. You didn't qualify yourself. He qualified you for your share of the inheritance. And it's a joint inheritance. You say, what is it? I believe it's explained by Peter quite well as he says, as his divine power is given to us, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which he has given us exceeding great and precious promises that through these you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world through lust. Now notice what God says. He says, exceeding great and precious promises. They're in, your, they're in your Bible, what Jesus purchased for you, what belongs to you as, as a believer, what belongs to you is, well, the Bible says all of Abraham's blessings are yours. If you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And the Bible calls them exceedingly great and precious promises. And they belong to us. It's Colossians 2.10. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. 
Solomon in Proverbs said, it's the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the glory of a king to search it out. Now, I have played hide and seek with my grandkids. Now, when I play hide and seek with the grandkids, I do not hide till they can't find me. I hide so they can find me. So I'm not hiding from them. I'm hiding for them. God has not hidden things in his word from you. He's hidden them for you. It says he has revealed them to us by his spirit. Now, we've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Now, I really believe one of the reasons that we aren't walking in more of what God has for us is because we simply are too timid. Jesus said the kingdom of God suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. The violent take it by force. When I was thinking about this yesterday, I went to the book of Joshua. Now Moses has died and who would want to follow Moses? I mean, my goodness, the plagues, manna from heaven, God coming down on a mountain and your face shines when you meet with him, splitting the Red Sea, everything. Well, he's following Moses. And this is what God said to Joshua. Verse six, be strong and of good courage. Verse seven, only be strong and very courageous. Verse nine, have I not commanded you? Be strong, of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Verse 18, only be strong and of good courage. I like four times in one chapter. Be strong, don't be afraid, be courageous, don't be timid, go after it. I'm with you. In 2 Kings chapter 13, the prophet Elisha goes to King Joash. Now this king, he, he's kind of a wimp. And, and so the prophet says, hey, take your bow and arrow. And he says, go over to the window. And the prophet puts his hand on the king's hand. And he says, shoot the arrow of the Lord's deliverance from Syria. And he shoots out the window. And then he said to him, he said, now take your arrows and strike the ground. He goes, one, two, three. And the man of God, the Bible says, was angry with him. He says, you should have struck five or six times. And then you would have struck Syria until you destroyed them. But now you're only going to strike them three times. He was timid. He was fearful. He was weak. He was toast, non-confrontational. And because of it, he did not get complete victory. But God wants you to be bold. He wants you to be strong. He wants you to keep going and keep going. He doesn't want you to strike a couple times and give up. No, he wants you to keep striking and keep striking and keep striking and keep striking, keep standing. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9:10, that whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. When David went to fight with Goliath, the Bible says he went over to that stream and he picked up five smooth stones. Somebody says, well, he took five in case he missed. 
No, 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 no. He took five because Goliath had four brothers. Seriously, he has four brothers in the Bible. He was ready for the whole mess. He says, I'm not going to take out this one. Anybody else shows up, I'm going to take them out too. He was not timid. He was bold. He wasn't weak. He was strong. And in your faith, you, you need to be strong. You need to be confrontational. You need to take the kingdom by force. You don't just sit back. Keep believing. Keep striking. Keep speaking. Keep striking. Keep moving. Keep striking. Keep obeying. Keep going ahead. Because the Spirit of God, He's going to bring you victory. He's going to bring you breakthrough. But you've got to stay with it. You've got to keep speaking, keep striking, keep believing, keep striking, keep confessing, keep resisting, keep striking, and keep going until you see the victory, until you see the breakthrough that God has for you. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.